Hey, Five Oaks friends and family. Uh, we're going to be talking today about a very important aspect of prayer, and that aspect is praise and adoration. When Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray and taught us to pray, and he said, start your prayer this way. Say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When he was saying, hallowed be your name, what he's saying is, may your name be honored, may it be glorified, may it be praised. And when we're asking that for, for the world to experience that kind of experience of praise or that kind of prayer, it needs to begin with ourselves. Obviously, this is a very important part of prayer. But we oftentimes don't know how to do it. We have not been trained in this really important aspect of conversation with God. Now, we get trained in conversation. From the time that we're kids, we learn certain things. We learn certain things about what good conversation is about. And one of those things that we learn is that we should say please and thank you. Well, how do we learn that? We get trained by our parents and by our grandparents and by our aunts and uncles and by our teachers. They correct us when we don't say please and thank you. They explain to us how rude it is to not say please and thank you. They also talk about how it feels in the other person when we say please and thank you. But we have not received, oftentimes we have not received that kind of training when it comes to bringing praise and adoration to God. That's a certain kind of conversational training. So today, uh, we are going to get the training that we always needed, the training that we always wanted. We're in week two of our series, Prayer Training for the Rest of Us. And before we jump into today's training, let's ask God to speak to us through his word. So please pray the underlying portions with me. The prayer we are about to pray is based on Isaiah 43. Heavenly Father, you are all-powerful and all-loving. By your power, sickness and shame are made weak. By your love, we are chosen and redeemed. We can trust that your heart is for us. We can hope in you and rest in your promises. Open our hearts and our minds as we look to your word. By your Holy Spirit, teach us and remind us who we are. Guide us to walk in your ways. Give us faith to trust and to believe in your power at work in us and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've driven on Highway 61 through Hastings, you've seen the football stadium. This is my favorite high school football stadium. I love how it's right alongside the main drag and recessed into the ground, kind of like a bowl. And under Friday night lights, it's an incredible sight. I mean, it's magical. When my oldest son was playing for Woodbury, we lost a lot of games here. They were a really good team. It was like a house of pain. But we won the last game he played here. And winning that game qualified Woodbury for the state tournament, which ended with us in the old Dome Stadium. It's no longer a house of pain. So why am I here? I'm here because I think there's a lot we can learn about praise and adoration from events that happen in stadiums like this all around the world. And I don't think you have to be a sports fan to really appreciate some of the lessons. I want to share with you three unconventional lessons on praise and adoration. The first one is this. 
respond when prompted. If you're at a white high school, um, a Woodbury High School football game, one of the things you'll hear repeatedly is the announcer say something like this. And that's another Royals. And the crowd says, first down. You have a prompt and you have a response. When you were singing words of adoration and praise and love towards God just a few minutes ago, uh, you had all kinds of prompts. You had words from Tom, you had scripture, you had words on the screen, you had music, and you responded to those prompts. In personal prayer, the primary prompt is scripture. Your response is to pray the words of scripture. The Psalms were the prayer book and song book of Jesus. He used the words of scripture in his prayers. Almost all of scripture can function as a prompt. You read something in scripture, a story or something that God says, whatever it might be, and you think, what can I learn about the character of God behind this? And as you think about that and thoughts come to mind, you praise God for that. But it's not just scripture that prompts us. A, a walk in nature, a dinner with family, uh, enjoying community, uh, music. There are so many things that can prompt us to praise God, but we have to pay attention. We have to be listening. We have to be looking for what can we learn about God from what we're experiencing in that moment. Here's another lesson from the stadium. Know your team. This is not a dispassionate kind of knowing. This is a passionate knowing. The more you know about the players, the team, the team history, the insider stories, all that stuff, the more your heart is in the game and the more you'll clap and cheer and shout encouragement to the players. Let me illustrate this with a story from my own life. Don Chula just died a couple of weeks ago. He was the longtime head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was the winningest NFL coach of all time and the only coach to complete an undefeated season. I grew up in Miami and I was in my teens when the Dolphins had their undefeated season. But I wasn't a Dolphins fan. I was a fan of the team the Dolphins defeated in the Super Bowl to complete their undefeated season. I was a fan of the Washington Redskins. I know that's crazy, but I was a Redskins fan because I had read a biography of Larry Brown, the Redskins star running back. And then I dove into getting to know their wildly unconventional coach, George Allen. George Allen had assembled a team of cast-offs from other teams. He served ice cream at the end of practice. They even had a song that they sang to him called Hooray for Ice Cream. The team was known as the Over the Hill Gang. And after a while, I started to get to know the cast-offs, people like Billy Kilmer, a quarterback who couldn't throw a spiral ball and who had been hobbled earlier in his career. He walked like an old man and he could barely run. I was passionate about the Washington Redskins. I could recount all of their qualities, what made them such a great team, what made the players great, what made the coach great. I knew how to praise them. There's no better way to prepare our hearts for praise than to know God better. And we know God by growing in a knowledge of the scripture and of the unfolding story it tells of God's love and grace toward us. The scripture broadcasts God's heart and his qualities. All right, we got one more lesson. This is the most unconventional lesson from the stadium and I just need to I just need to ask your grace to follow me on this. Trash the opponent. Another way to put it would be 
trash talk the opponent. If you and I were talking Hastings football back in the day, I would have granted you that Hastings was a powerhouse. And I'd also make sure you knew that part of what made them so good was they had recruited some star Woodbury players to play on their team. That's the kind of trash talk I'm talking about. Was that true? Well, they did have a player on their team that lived in Woodbury who probably would have been a star on Woodbury's team. I don't know if they had any others. Was he recruited? I'm not so sure, that's the rumor. Uh, but that just reminds us as Christians, we need to be really careful about our trash talk. But there's another kind of trash talk that is absolutely legitimate. And I wanna give you an, uh, an example of it from scripture. Here's God warning the people of Israel not to make idols, not to make false gods for themselves. Isaiah 44 verse 16 describes what, what an idol maker does. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think, no one has the knowledge or the understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? It's trash talk and it's true. And it leads to praise. Isaiah continues, remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you, you are my servant Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. You can see how it works. Uh, you see God and the prophet trashing the idols and then bringing in how God contrasts to them. And then you see the joy bursting forth. It's trash talk. It's, it's a lot like what happens in these stadiums, a lot what happens between fans of different teams. Uh, but this is true. This is really speaking to what the reality behind those idols are. And when we see that, our hearts burst forth with praise. God always delivers where idols always disappoint. Okay, that whole point is a bit unconventional, but the value of God is enlarged in our hearts and erupts into praise when we compare him to all the things we could have put in his place, even good things. Here's what David says in Psalm 63. He says, because your love is better than, my, than life, my lips will glorify you. The setting for that Psalm is in the desert of Judah. And most scholars believe he wrote it when he was fleeing for his life. What is David doing? 
he's comparing his love of God to the love of life. And he says, God, when I compare the two, your love wins hands down. That's a sort of a kind of trash talk. It's not saying that life is bad. It's, it's kind of like uh, two, two people talking about their favorite teams. And one says, yeah, your quarterback is great, but our defense is greater. Except in this case, it's 100% true. Life is great, but God is ultimate. Life is not. All right, for all of you who absolutely despise sports analogies, let's, um, let's review what we've looked at, how it is that we can learn to praise and, and worship God in our personal prayer lives. Let's review it without the sports analogy for a moment. Uh, the very first thing that we talked about was that we need to respond to the prompts that God gives us. Uh, the prompts might be in nature. The prompts can be in music. The prompts can be in relationships, a, a beautiful community meal. But the primary prompt for personal prayer is Scripture. It's through the Scripture and learning about God and about who He is and what He values that we can look at all those things and actually value them properly and really see what a great and beautiful gift they are and what it tells us about God. So we need to uh, we need to respond to the prompts that God gives us. The second thing is that we need to grow in a knowledge of God. Now, that's not something that we can do casually. It's not like we can uh, you know have a casual Christianity and actually grow in a knowledge of God that moves us towards prayer. Uh, that praises, uh, praises and honors God, you know, from, from the heart. Um, so we need to really get to, we need to immerse ourselves in the scripture and getting to know God like we immerse ourselves into other things that we actually really care about. And then the final way that we can praise God and we can learn to praise God uh, better in our personal prayer life is by comparing God's worth and value to all those other competing gods, all those things that would take God's place in our lives. The reality is that when we compare and contrast God to the things that we are putting in the place of God in our lives, and we see just how absolutely stark the comparison is one of the things that begins to happen is praise and adoration and rejoicing begins to erupt in our own hearts well we're gonna continue our worship right now by praising God together by responding to his word and we're gonna do that by celebrating communion right now so I invite you to get your bread ready. I invite you to get the cup ready uh, as we just consider a couple more things uh, and take communion together. Well, our greatest personal cause for rejoicing by far is the love of God toward us. God's love is really better than life. And nothing demonstrates God's love better than what he did for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus's body was broken for us. We take the bread, remembering his body broken for us. Please eat the bread now.
The cup reminds us that his blood was shed for us. Take the cup and drink it now. Now take the time to bless your kids who aren't taking communion. The slide on the screen will remind you of what to do and what to say. And God bless you. See you next week.